All right, let's get started. Hey, let's do a little signs in the times update before we start. First, as all of you may already know, Roe versus Wade. Praise God. Right? Six Supreme Court justices stood up for truth and declared that the Constitution uh, does not confer a right to abortion. And because of that ruling, I don't know if you guys know this, but because of that ruling, due to trigger laws, do you guys know what trigger laws are? Trigger laws are laws that states have on the books all ready to go, ready to be triggered, quote unquote. So there was 13 states that had to allow abortion because of the ruling of Roe versus Wade. But they had trigger laws already passed, ready to go, that if Roe versus Wade ever got overturned, immediately these laws would trigger and therefore no longer allow abortion to be permissible in their states. So as soon as the Supreme Court declared that the Constitution doesn't give you a right to have an abortion, uh, 13 states had those laws triggered, and therefore uh, abortion became inaccessible in those 13 states immediately. So what that means is lives were saved. Immediately. As soon as they did it, lives were saved. Um, I mean... It's amazing. Quite frankly, that should be a holiday. Not that they would allow us to have it for a holiday. Um, but June 24th, remember the date, right? June 24th, 2022, uh, should forever be remembered. However, I want to say, as great as it is, the fight's not over, right? The fight is not over, uh, as we know, because states like ours, like Washington State, incredibly immoral and satanic, uh, still have all these laws on the books allowing abortion. California still has all these laws. Major organizations and companies and, and uh, businesses are telling their employees, listen, we'll fly you wherever you need to go for an abortion. We'll pay for the flights. Disney, Apple, you name it, right? There is not a company, a major corporation that you can go into today that stands on your side as far as any of these things are concerned. If you were to just quit supporting all the companies that did not have your beliefs, you would not support a single company. You couldn't walk into Safeway and buy your groceries. You couldn't go to Costco. You couldn't buy an Apple product. You couldn't go to Disney. Every one of them is, has different values than you do. It's, I mean, we're not ignorant to that fact, are we? Anyway, the fight's not over. The reason I say that is because it tells us in Proverbs 21:15, it says, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but it is terror to the evildoers. And we have seen that over and over again, and we see it again. As soon as the Roe versus Wade um, decision came out from the Supreme Court, what happened? People started protesting. People started rioting. There have been Christian pregnancy resource centers that have already been burned to the ground. There have been churches that have already been vandalized. The Department of, uh, what is it called? The Department of Homeland Security sent out a notice to Catholic churches. I don't know why they only sent it to Catholic churches, but they sent out a notice to Catholic churches, and they said, warning, right? Be aware, you, your, your churches might be attacked. Anyway, when justice is done is the joy to the righteous, but it is terror to evildoers. And when evildoers are frightened, when they are uh, upset, when they are angry, they attack. And we've seen it over and over and over and over again lately in the last couple of years. They just riot and they burn things to the ground. I've seen posts online where uh, people have flat out said, well, one of them was really stupid. It said, what do we need the Constitution for anyway? 
right? And, and don't be, don't be <laughs> that's not a, a, a narrow thought, by the way. There's a lot of people left-leaning now, far, far to the left, mind you, that are, are asking to abolish the Constitution, to get it out of the way. Let's just work around it. When you already have a government that works around it, why do we need to take it seriously? Um, but, but then they said, well, you know, most of, I saw this post. It was really ridiculous. This guy said, most of the religious are in the Midwest. And yeah, that's what he said. Most of the conservative religious people are in the Midwest. So what we should do is we should go to their towns in the Midwest and just burn them down. He said, they'll be like giving them the middle finger, he said, because they're in the middle of the country. So it's like giving them the middle finger. <laughs> yeah, such, such smart responses, right? So anyway, what do we do? Um, we pray, right? We, we pray, we listen, we speak the truth in love, we love our neighbor, but we stay sober and alert, right? Because we are just much that, that much closer to the return of Jesus, right? You've heard the saying, I've said it before, when you go in, you know, in, in October, when you walk into Costco and the Christmas ornaments are up, you know that Thanksgiving is that much closer. It's the, same, it's the same with the coming of Christ. When you see the signs that point to the tribulation, that point to the coming of the Antichrist, that point to the coming of everything that the Bible tells us is on the way, we know that the rapture is that much closer. Right? We know the rapture is that much closer. Now, speaking of that, and speaking to prophecy, biblically, Ezekiel 38 and 39, we've told you that everything revolves around Israel. Right? You want to know what's going on? Watch Israel prophetically. So I want to mention this. Israel signed a deal with the European Union to provide natural gas to Europe through the year 2050. Now you might be thinking, that's pretty cool, right? It is, actually. It's good for Israel. That being said, since Israel has now become an energy superpower, who does that make mad, for lack of a better term, right? Russia. That really upsets Russia, because Russia is the one who wants to supply natural gas and fuel to Europe. Right. So Russia, of course, you know, they have this tentative agreement alliance with Israel. They pretend to like each other, but Russia doesn't really like Israel. Most of the countries don't. So you want to wonder how this coalition of nations that are going to come together eventually in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and come to attack Israel, what it is that's going to bait them. The Bible says it puts a jaw in their hook and drags them to come attack Israel, what it's going to be that does that. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, it's going to be gas. It's going to be natural gas. It's going to be oil. It's going to be fuel. It's going to be energy that makes them come to attack Israel because that's what they want. They want Israel's energy. Um, also, as far as Israel is concerned, pay attention. Prime Minister Bennett is stepping down. Okay? He hasn't been very popular since he was elected. Not a lot of people like him. I think he knows that. He's stepping down. So they're going to an interim, and then they're going to hold elections again in October. What does that tell you? Israel's government's still screwed up, right? It's still screwed up. Israel is still a mess as far as their government is concerned. That also plays in to everything. Um, and then on the side of Russia, what you should be paying attention to, because everyone said Russia's going to run out of money. I told you before Russia attacked Ukraine that they weren't going to run out of money. That they had reserves upon reserves upon reserves, right? 
Putin was not an idiot, and he put this stuff aside, and he stockpiled this, and they've been investing in things like gold and, and all this other stuff. The guys, the country has money, okay? Today, the ruble is the strongest performing currency in the world, okay? It outperforms the dollar. The dollar's tanking, right? I feel sorry for everyone with retirement funds. Sorry. Your money's about to disappear. The dollar is tanking. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Did I just depress a bunch of people? The, the ruble is... So just pay attention to that because Russia is going to become a superpower. More than they are. That's biblical. Okay, we know that. And then also, just one last thing I saw. I don't want to keep this too long. Uh, as I came in this morning, uh, the World Economic Forum uh, in Switzerland the Catholic Church went over there and met with them, and they had a little meeting, and the Catholic Church uh, announced that they are supporting the World Economic Forum and supporting all the uh, programs and changes that the World Economic Forum wants to uh, put out there globally, right? The World Economic Forum is evil, in case you weren't aware of that. And, uh, and everything that they want to do is what's going to, part of what's going to lead us into a one world economy, one world government, one world religion. And, and it's no surprise to me that the Catholic Church is on their side because the Pope's always been a globalist and always is about one new world order. So, but today they just sort of casually dropped that and said, yes, we support the World Economic Forum and everything it wants to do. Um, if you have friends who are Catholic, you should really tell them just to get out of there as fast as you can. Um, but, so, I tell you all that. Oh, and Russia is probably going to attack Lithuania. So just keep an eye out on these things because Lithuania broke a treaty they've had with Russia since World War II, and they put a blockade up to stop uh, certain things coming into Russia. And that's all great and everything uh, as far as trying to, you know, trying to slow down everything that Russia's doing in the Ukraine. Uh, but unfortunately, Russia said, wait, you, wait a minute. If you guys are going to mess with this, we're just going to come over and stomp on you. So unless Lithuania changes their mind, Russia's going to go stomp on Lithuania. More people are worried about that than they were about worried about Russia attacking Ukraine. I just want to let you know. Lithuania is more of a trigger to what people are worried about, World War III, than, uh, than Ukraine was. So something just to keep your eyes on. I tell you all that, not to scare you, just to prepare you. Uh, look up, right? Your redemption's drawing near. And so those with eyes, let them see. Those with ears, let them hear. Let's read Genesis chapter 12, or in verses 1 through 9. We are going to be talking about Abraham. Yes. Or Abram, because he's not technically Abraham yet. Let's read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement and strength and and the example that's being set for us about living by faith that we're going to learn as we study uh, the life of Abraham. So we thank you for this. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for journeying with us. We thank you for the power of your call and the strength that comes from your spirit. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three elements that make a nation. People, got to have people. Land, right? To be a nation, you should have land. There, are, there is a nation that doesn't really have land, that thinks it's a nation that's not. I'll go into that. And then you need government. Those are three things. What we're seeing here, starting in Genesis chapter 12, is the beginning of God building a nation, right? So God starts with one man, Abraham, Abram, to provide a people. Through Abraham are going to come the people Israel will become Israel. We started Genesis, we started talking about creation, and that went, of course, humanity, and that filtered down to like one family, like Noah, and now we're basically going to be focused on one man. For the next, up until Genesis 25. Right, we're in 12 now, up until, you know, three years from now when we hit Genesis 25, we're still going to be talking about Abraham, Abram, a friend of God, the father of faith. We went over this last week for Father's Day. We know from Acts chapter 7 that this call that we read about here at the beginning of chapter 12, originally this call came while Abraham, or Abram, well, he was still living in the Ur of the Chaldeans before he'd even left there. Right? Now, first steps, first steps of faith, there aren't necessarily big steps. I mean, sometimes there's really, I mean, sometimes your first step is a really big step, but not all first steps are huge steps. That being said, even small steps, even small steps of faith can be intimidating. And we talked about how possibly when Abraham got the call, he, there was a hesit, he was hesitant to leave. He was hesitant just to do. Remember what, the God, what God asked him to do. He said, go from your country, go from your kindred, and go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And you can imagine that was difficult just to leave it all behind, where you'd grown up, everywhere, you know. This, this was comfortable for you. So we talked about how possibly... His father led him out because it tells us about how his father took Abram and Lot and everyone and journeyed with them. And they got as far as Haran and they stopped. His father 
probably because of his health, couldn't go any farther. And so even though Abraham was supposed to leave his father and his family and journey out on his own, they went out together. And they stopped halfway. Like I said, they stopped in Haran. And Abraham stopped there more than likely because of a son's love for his father. It's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. However, he wasn't necessarily supposed to do it, but it wasn't a bad thing. And we don't know how long he was there, but he waited until his father passed away before he left again. One thing about stepping out in faith is, and stepping out into God's calling is, is that bringing your old life into your new life can complicate things. And it can possibly create problems, and it can possibly be a distraction, and it can possibly delay you into what God has called you to do when you're trying to hang on to what God has asked you to leave. Sometimes that's difficult. That's why we're supposed to leave the old self behind. However, Abraham waits till his father has passed, and God renews his call to Abram, we see here in chapter 12. And now it seems that Abraham is willing to... Uh, Obey without delay. He just goes. Right? Because faith demands commitment, quite frankly. And we aren't to be double-minded concerning our commitment to God's calling on our lives. And maybe it took a while for Abraham or for Abram, I'll call them both names, you know, to, to come to terms with that. Understanding the commitment that was being asked of him by God. Commitment today, you know, seems to be like the baby that was thrown out with the bathwater. No one wants to commit to anything. I mean, it's a vanishing commodity, as Warren Wearsby says. No one wants to commit to a job. You know this because you go out and you, you know, go to a restaurant or you go to a gas station or you go to a store or you go anywhere and they're all hiring. Everyone's hiring. And no one is staying. Right? Everyone needs, I mean, you know, in, in my job where I work, my other job, you know, we, I work in the, the online sales and we ship a lot of stuff. And all the companies, all those shipping companies, FedEx, UPS, USPS, are all in serious and dire straits because they don't have enough people to work and they don't have enough people staying on the job. So it always puts things behind, always causes delays, right? So, and, and we're seeing that everywhere. No one's committed to their job anymore. No one wants to stay at their job anymore. Um, so, you know, commitment seems is, it's a vanishing commodity. No one wants to commit. No one wants to commit to relationships. No one wants to commit to marriage. They definitely don't want to commit to God, and they're not going to commit to a church or the body or anything like that. They don't want to commit. The world is committed to one thing, and that's itself. That's what the world is committed to. Right? They're committed to itself. They're not committed to each other. And any other commitment that they may have is just a temporary commitment. Right? They're committed to that as long as they're getting something from that that benefits them. And as soon as they are you know, not getting anything from that, they're not committed to it anymore. Right? All other commitments are temporary. I'm just going to tell you, if God's commitment to us was temporary, we would be screwed. Right? <laughs> Commitment in the Hebrew, the word, the Hebrew word is galal. It means to roll together. When God's committed with you, he's rolling with you, right? It also means to roll away. So if you want a picture of God's commitment to you, just look at the stone that was rolled away from the grave. That's a picture of God's commitment to us. 
right? He is so committed to us. When, they rolled that, when that stone was rolled away, he left. He rose again. He came out of that grave. That's how committed God is to you. And it tells us, in, you know, that Psalms and Psalms 37, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to commit our ways to the Lord. And it also tells us in Proverbs, we're supposed to commit our work to the Lord. So what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? We're supposed to be committing our ways and our works to the Lord. Who are we supposed to be committed to? We're supposed to be committed to God. We're supposed to be committed to God. All of us. 100% committed to God. That's how we should be living our life. But we're, be, we're trying to live a life committed to God, fully committed to God, in a world that's not committed to squat and thinks you're strange <laughs> for being committed to something like that, right? So this is the call that God, the call of Abram. He tells Abram, he says, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house. Now, what I want you to notice from that is the progression, right? It funnels down. It, it, country, kindred, father's house. And when you because this is a calling. So when you contrast that to, for example, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when, when the Lord is sending the disciples, this is what he tells them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. It's sort of the Father's house, kindred, country in reverse. Because what it now does is funnels out. And this is often how calling and sending works with the Lord. He calls you in to send you out, right? He calls you in from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to send you out in the same direction that he called you in from, a reverse direction, right? And so he calls Abraham and he says, go to the land which I will show you. I promise, right? You can trust me, Abraham. Go, and I will show you where you're supposed to be going one day, right? He didn't say when he was going to show him. He says, you know, it's not the land that I have shown you. Here's the map, Abraham. Here's the boundaries. Here's a little X marks the spot. Go here. He didn't say that. He just said, go. Go, right? Abraham knew where he was supposed to go into Canaan, right? But, but God said, I will show you the land. I will show you. Eventually. Trust me, I'm going to show you. That's a step of faith. It's a step of faith to step out and not have this exact idea of where you're going because we want it all laid out, generally. But then he makes this covenant with Abraham. We'll get more into that in just a second. He says, I will make, now look who's saying it, God's saying it, I will make you a great nation. Right? I will bless you. I will make your name great. Right? So that you will be a blessing. This is all done by God. I will. Not you will, not they will. I will. Right? He doesn't say, step on out and you will become. He says, step on out and I will make you a great nation. This is an amazing promise from God. But I want you to notice what he says about the blessing. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. There's a purpose behind it. We are blessed so that we will be a blessing. Right? 1 Peter 4.10, one of my favorite verses. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Everything that you have been given from God 
is for you to use to serve others. Everything. Every blessing you have received is for you to bless others. Everything. And God tells Abraham, I am going to bless you. I am going to make you great so that you will be a blessing to others. He says, all the earth is going to be blessed through you. All the earth. And of course, we know that comes through Jesus because the line of Abraham leads to Jesus. God promised to make a nation. He says, you're going to have enough children and grandchildren and descendants to populate a nation. That's what he tells them. What we talked about, Abraham must, thought was crazy. I don't even have one kid right now. How am I... You know, where's all this nation going to come from? Right? But he tells them, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And of course, Abraham's name is one of the most honored names in history now. Right? He's honored by Jews and Muslims and Christians. He's an honored person. But he also gives them this promise. See, not only does he tell them that he's going to bless them and make his name great, and he's going to be a blessing to the entire world, but he also tells them, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to dishonor those who dishonor you. We should notice that. We should pay attention to that. It, that bears uh, fruit today. It remains true to this very day. It's the root reason. It's one of the roots for the decline and the death of many empires and nations throughout history, including the United States. Right? We are a nation blessed when we bless Israel. We are a nation cursed when we do not bless Israel. You wonder why we go through some of what we're going through right now? One of the root issues is that we have pulled our support from Israel. Right? That's part of it, absolutely, 100%. The promise was specific to Abraham, but through Abraham, that promise went into all of Israel, right? And also those things tie into what the Lord promises us. It's not any different, right? Provision, protection, blessing, a future, all those things have been promised to you through Jesus. It tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, that, so the blessing of Abraham comes to, comes to us as well. We have all these blessings. The Lord has, has promised to protect us. He's promised to establish us and guard us against the evil one, as it tells us in Thessalonians, right? We have a reward laid up for us and waiting, as it tells us in 2 Timothy for all those who have loved his appearing. I mean, the Lord has prom- promised us all these things through Christ as well. It's something that, that we should not forget. Because sometimes we read these things, we think, only applies to Israel, only applies. And there are certain cases where that's true. But God's blessing for us comes through Abraham. When he said he was going to bless the whole world through Abraham, guess what? We're the whole world. That, that comes on us. That's part, we're being blessed because of this. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham, through Jesus. Jesus is going to touch every person, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue on earth. 
We know that they'll, that, right? It tells us that in Revelation. So Abraham receives this promise from God. He receives this call from God. He receives this blessing from God. And what was Abraham's response now? He went. Right? He went. He took Lot with him. He took all their possessions. Abraham had gotten quite wealthy. Right? Because it says he took all his people. So it wasn't just Abraham and Sarah and Lot. But they had lots of other people now. Servants and you know, ranch hands and cow wranglers and, you know, whatever, all the people that you have with them, you know, that are leading the camels. And I mean, they have a huge tribe now. Abraham has a huge tribe of people. So he takes them all with him and they take off, right? Some 220 plus years after creation, some 360 plus years after the flood, Abraham is now heading off to where God called him into the land of Canaan. It tells us in Hebrews 11.8, it says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham had a general idea, right? We should be aware. He wasn't completely blind. He, you know, he, he wasn't stumbling around in the dark. He had a general idea of where he was going. He didn't have a specific idea. He didn't know specifically. He knew he was supposed to go into the land of Canaan, and the trade routes were, were uh, into the Canaanite nations. The trade routes were established at this point. So he knew the road to travel. He knew which what direction to go. He knew all the highlights, right? He, he knew how to take the journey. It was a 400-mile journey, roughly, from where he was into the land of Canaan. And, and it wasn't going to be a fast journey by any means because of all the people and everything that they had with them. And, of course, they're not traveling by train. or you know, they're, they're camel rides or whatever they're doing, walking. So it wasn't, it wasn't going to be quick. It wasn't going to be easy. But he went. And that's important. There's a quote that says, if your feet are going, your faith is growing. Right? And that's the example that we see here from Abraham. His faith was growing. Remember, Abraham was living in a nation that was full of other gods, where most of the culture worshipped other gods, where possibly his father was worshiping other gods, where possibly Abraham worshiped other gods. But when the one true God called him out of that, he left with a little help, and then he stopped, and then he continued going. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of his faith growing. His faith was growing, and that's what we're seeing. If your feet are going, your faith is growing. And if you look at the verbs that are used here for Abraham when he starts moving, right? You see that he went, that he departed, that he took, that he set out, that he passed through. So now he was a man on the move. It took him a while to fully get going, right? But once he started, it seems like he's a guy on the go. And he was. This is how he lived his life from here on out, basically. Nomadic, okay? Tent living. Just in the RV and seeing the country. Now, he starts going into the land of Canaan and he stops at Shechem. And the Oak of Morah, which was a well-known landmark probably at the time. Some think it was even possibly even a religious site. Because remember, we're in the land of the Canaanites and they're a very paganistic culture. So some people think that that tree was also a spot where there was a lot of pagan altars and and you know things set up around this site as well. Well-known landmark. But what does Abraham do? He stops and he builds an altar to the Lord. 
to the one true God. He seeks God. He had gotten his call. He had stepped out. He wanted to, God, can I have some more instructions as we go, please? So he sets up an altar to the Lord. And, all, and, and Abraham's life, just so you know, is a life that's going to be marked by tents and altars. That's how he lived his life. He never lived in a house. He never lived in, matter of fact, he never actually owned any property except for his gravesite. But yet, because of God's promises, he understood that this land was his. So Abraham's life is marked by tents and altars. And tents are the home of those who are just passing through. Right? They don't put down permanent roots. The tent shows that Abraham was a pilgrim. And the altar marked him as a citizen of heaven. And showed that he worshipped the one true God. One way to look at it is this. The tent showed that he was separated from the world. And the altar showed that he was dedicated and devoted to the Lord. We'll talk about where he pitched his tent in just a second. So he, he builds an altar here by the oak of Morah. And the Lord appears to him. Now this was possibly a Christophany, right? A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus, possibly. Regardless if it was or it wasn't, what the Lord does is he reaffirms his promise to Abraham. He tells him in verse 7, he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Right? He reaffirms his promise. And like I said, interestingly enough, Abraham never owned any of the land technically, just his gravesite. So, and Abraham will come back to this altar later, but that promise was, was enough for Abraham to then continue on. And he moves to the hill country east of Bethel and west of Ai, and he pitches his tent there. And he builds an altar there as well. Right? Now, this is an interesting spot because Bethel means house of God. And Ai means ruin or ruined heap. So where Abraham pitched his tent was between the house of God and the ruined heap. Right? And I want you to know that's where you live today, worldly speaking. You live in a spot that's between the house of God and the ruined heap, right? You are a stranger in a strange land, just like Abraham was when he entered into Canaan. Right? You're looking forward to a city who has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, just as Abraham did when he stepped out in faith to follow God, right? You're living between the house of God and the ruin. That's the world. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? It's not in Snohomish. It's not in Everett. It's not in Marysville. It's not in Lake Stevens. It's not in Bothell. It's not in Hawaii. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we're an alien. We're aliens here. If, if you always wonder why you, no matter where you live or where you are, you always feel a little out of place, that's because it's not your home. I don't care how many years you've lived there. It's not your home. Right? Your home is with God. It's being prepared for you. And you will be there one day. Right? You're, so you're an alien here. You're a stranger. You're just sojourning until you get home. Right? One could say that our entire life is a journey that never ends. We'll always be traveling 
temporarily staying here and there until we get home, until God calls us home. So don't get comfortable, right? Don't get settled in. Be in the world, but not of the world, right? Live as pilgrims. Here's the thing. A pilgrim is someone who leaves home and travels to a specific destination. A pilgrim isn't a drifter. A pilgrim has a goal. Our goal is eternal life. Right? For the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was Abraham's goal too. So what does this mean? Right? These first nine verses, what does this mean for us? How does this apply? It's difficult today. It's difficult to live in this world today. To speak absolute truth to a world that believes truth is relative, right? To stand for the sanctity of life to a world that wants the right to sacrifice their children, right? To refuse to take a knee to a world that demands you worship it, right? To call men men and women women to a world that has no idea what a woman is because they don't have a biology degree, right? And to a world that has redefined what it means to be a woman, to be a man, to be a mother, to be a father, right? A world that has redefined what family means, redefined what it stands for, redefined what marriage means, redefined things that they have no right to redefine because they did not create them to begin with. God will always have the last say because he's the one who created life, man, woman, marriage. God created it all. So it's tough to live in a world that calls evil good and good evil and light dark and dark light. It's tough to live in that world. You have no choice to live but by faith. Right? Because if you tried to live any other way in this world, in this screwed up world, you would be assimilated into the collective. Right? We live in a world of uncertainty and we live in a world of insecurity. The Bible tells us that you know, we aren't promised tomorrow. And even if we were promised tomorrow, we have no idea what tomorrow brings. None. Okay? God, says, God says not to worry about tomorrow. But worry, right? is almost as common in our lives as paying taxes. Matter of fact, probably paying taxes causes us even more worry. Right? It doesn't matter how long we have walked with the Lord, worry seems to chew us up and spit us out all the time. There's one thing we do too much. It's worry. We worry too much. But what is the remedy for worrying too much? Living by faith. Right? We need, need to be living by faith. Because if we don't, our lives are going to fall apart. Right? They crumble. We have to live and hold to the promises of God and try not to live up to the expectations of men. Listen, your faith has been tested. Your faith will continue to be tested, even more so as the day approaches. But remember this, testing comes from God. Right? 
Temptation comes from Satan. Testing comes from God. Right? God tests you to build up your faith. Satan tempts you to destroy your faith. Right? So when you're tested, remember, no matter the burdens, no matter the feelings, no matter the circumstances, no matter how crazy and dark the day is, hold on to the truth of God's word, to the truth of his promises by faith, knowing that he is working in and working through your lives, that he is with you. Job knew this. Job said this in Job 23.10. He said, but he, which is God, right, knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come out as gold. Right? Also in 1 Peter, he goes through this as well. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. It is necessary, just in case you are hoping that you could escape. That was an escape clause or something. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will be tested. God tests you to build up your faith, to grow your faith. There are many lessons to be learned as we study Abraham But here's something to remember. Faith is not something we just study. It's something we practice. Right? Your faith will be strengthened through your obedience. When God calls you, whatever your calling may be, you can go in confidence and in obedience. When God separates you for work, he will often separate you, just like he did Abraham from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. Often when God separates you from a work, when God calls you out, guess what? It may involve tears in that sense. He may call you away from something that you didn't necessarily want to be called away from. There will always be separation in the life of a believer. Our response, though, just needs to be obedience. Don't be all dressed up with nowhere to go. Be ready to move. Be ready to follow the Lord. You don't want to look back later and wonder, how would things have been if I had just been obedient? How would things have been if I had, if I had just obeyed God? If I had just followed the call of God? What would, what would, have, thing, what would, have, thing, uh, what would have things looked like? I'm not sure that's the correct phrase. Anyway, what would it look like if I had just obeyed God? You don't want to look back and wonder that. Just obey God and step out in faith. C.S. Lewis said, there are far, far better things ahead than what you leave behind. And that's true. Because what lies ahead? Eternal life with Jesus Christ. Abraham obeyed when he did not know where, how, when, or why. Right? How many of us would have done that? Honestly. I mean, we want all the details laid out in triplicate. It's difficult for us to be spontaneous and step out without knowing all the details. Even kids want to know the details. I mean, just take them on a trip. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Where are we going? When are we going to get there? Right? What do I get out of it? Are you paying me for this? Everyone wants to know the details. But we have to step out in faith. Abraham was saved by faith. He lived by faith. His obedience was evidence of his faith. It takes faith. 
Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some say that, uh, that, that God won't take the time to get the vehicle washed and detailed and fill the tank of gas if you aren't going to turn on the key and drive it. Right? Another way to put that is you don't need a steering wheel if you have no plan to drive. Chuck Smith put it this way. He said, I have never known God to guide a stationary object. So what does that mean? That means move. That means go. That means follow the Lord. Abraham moved in faith. God revealed himself as he went. Right? And as we go, God reveals himself to us. As we grow in our faith, God reveals himself to us. He continues to show you who he is, where he is, and what he's doing. And it grows your faith. And you can continue to step out and follow because you know, guess what? God's here with me. I called upon him. He appeared. He spoke to me. He answered my prayers. So move in obedience. You don't need to fear. When you trust in the Lord, no test is impossible. No failure is permanent. We're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises for us. Right? Joseph Parker, who was a 19th century English pastor, he said, great lives are trained by great promises. Whose great promises are going to train our lives? God's. Right? When you walk in faith, you lean on God alone. His word, his will, his power, etc. It's not yours, not the world's. Our first love should be God. We live a life separated from the world, right? We live a life separated from what is evil. We live a life set apart and dedicated to what is holy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 tells us, we shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's our life dedicated to God. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to new assurances and new promises from God. God comforts us and encourages us as we walk and take those steps of faith. <clears throat> and it also plays out in the fact that we can then share that and bless others with what we've been blessed with, right? Because the call of God is for all of humanity, as in God wants no one to perish. And he wants all to come to salvation. Right? For God so loved the world. Salvation happens when God calls and sinners respond by faith. Right? This is grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for the strength and the encouragement that comes from it. I pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen us, continue to encourage us so that as we continue to walk in faith in a world that's crazy and messed up, <clears throat> that we continue to be a light in the darkness because you haven't called us home yet. We're still here. And as long as we're still here, where you have sent us and where you have us is in the darkness because the world is a dark place and getting darker. So it's tough, Lord. It's tough to be a light in the midst of all this that's going on. But in faith, Lord, we continue to step out. We continue to be obedient. We continue to follow you. And you continue to show us how great you are. And I pray, Lord, that we can continue to share that. We can continue to be a blessing with what you have blessed us with to those who are looking for hope in the midst of the world in which we live. I pray, Lord, that we can continue to point them to Jesus. 
I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.